0: Up for this is the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports with your boy the Brian Campbell back with a bang. Trust me. I back.
1: Trust me. I back.
0: We are back, and it's a wild week for the SOC. UFC 245 is upon us. And you better believe the SOC has you covered. For that and so much more, we're basically going on a podcast a day. For, I don't know, 8, nine, ten consecutive days we're rolling through. Why? We gave you the instant analysis. Joshua Ruiz heavyweight boxing rematch pod over the weekend. Gave you the regular box pod on Monday. Pro Wrestling on Tuesday previewing WWE TLC. And today it is UFC 245 preview time. Your boy BC in the pilot's chair. You're also going to hear... From UFC Hall of Famer Sugar Rashad Evans later for his sit down and preview of Saturday's triple header, along with our own Tommy Tran of CBS Sports. I'm going to set the stage for you right now, looking back at the weekend that was, getting you prepared for the weekend to come. My good co worker, my good bro there, Brandon Wise on a bye today, but he will be back in the near future. Here's the deal, folks. I mentioned we got you covered. Preview today of 245. We flip back to boxing on Thursday for a special interview episode. But Friday, stay tuned. Keep your ear to the ground because we're going to be deep inside those cochlea eyes giving you the UFC Media Day pod. Interviews with the biggest names ahead of UFC 245. You better believe your boy BC in the middle, stirring things up. And then Saturday night after the Card is complete in Vegas. We're going to hit you up instant analysis style to break down all things UFC 245. We got TLC WWE Sunday night instant analysis. We're hitting you hard here on the State of Combat, so please return the favor this holiday season. If you see something, say something. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download fine audio and tell them BC sent you, and hit us up with that five-star review. Rate the show. Hey, drop a line in there. Tell us what you like about it. You like Sugar Rashad Evans' abs? Yeah. Talk to us about that.
1: You're going to do what I want you to do, and that's just the bottom line. And the sooner you come to realize it, the more comfortable you'll be with the results.
0: Thank you, Rashad. If you want to tell us your pick for fight of the year, fighter of the year, we're going to get fired up for our year-end show in the near future, breaking down all those awards. We want to hear from you. We wanna we wanna we wanna read your analysis on the air. So please uh give it to us, all right? But you know what I'm here to do, and that's one thing on this show right now.
2: Let me bang with somebody. Yes, let somebody stand up and bang with me. And
0: I'm gonna bang the drum that is mixed martial arts. What's in the news? We're fresh off of UFC DC, Tito, Alberto. I'm gonna break all that down. Shout out to new listeners of this State of Combat podcast that may have liked BC's work over there on Showtime. The video unique podcast show that we give you every week on Showtime's Facebook and YouTube channels called Morning Combat. In which Luke Thomas and I sit down for a half serious, half absurd look at the world of combat sports. Appreciate the fan base that is building there. Appreciate a lot of you jumping over to this side of the tracks on CBS Sports for what we do on here, MMA, every week. Brandon Wise, Sugar Rashad Evans, your boy BC, the trio, the triumvirate. We may be a little bit segregated today, separated from each other due to schedules. But you're going to be excited to hear Rashad's voice later in this show, which fights 245. He believes we'll steal the show. Who's going to win? Who's the most most live dog, if you will? More to come on that. More to come from your boy BC. After a word from our friends and sponsors. Yeah. All right. Dig it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. And we're back, your boy BC, getting you fired up in the world of mixed martial arts. Sugar Rashad Evans and Tommy Tran to come later in this show, giving you a detailed preview of 245. You're going to hear my thoughts as well. But for now, holiday season. Hope you're fired up. I still got a foot of snow out my window in suburban Connecticut. But, you know, I'm wrapping presents. I'm ordering them. online. I'm getting fired up for Christmas. If that's how you get down, that's how Brock gets down. What else can? What else do you want me to say? I mean, I
1: uh, Merry Christmas to Brock Lesnar!
0: <laughs> thank you, thank you, Brock. Thank you. I'm fired up for the holidays, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever you're celebrating. Please celebrate with the uh, the SOC, with the with the headphones in as you're out there traveling, shopping, whatever you have to do to survive. Still, at chino changes though. Can a brother get a little peace? We had war this weekend. It was UFC DC. Overeem Rosenstruck, and talk about the big rating turned in. I so saw that press release going out for UFC on ESPN from Washington, D.C. Look, this turned out to be a, a heck of a night. There was a lot of uh, good business being done in this card, and, and the biggest headline, of course, was that heavyweight bout. Late replacement for Walt Harris, and, and certainly shout-out to Walt Harris's family dealing with the, with the loss he's going through. But it's Jairzinho Rosenstruck, the Suriname-born slugger, who came in here late, trying to to prove to us that he's a legit heavyweight contender. And what does he do with four seconds to go in this five-round main event? He sends Alistair Overeem to hell via a a right hand from, from the deep, dark depths that more or less broke Overeem's lip, splitting it into two. He had to have plastic surgery to repair it. A wild ending to a fight that was so interesting because... Rosenstrick Struk, however you're really going to pronounce this, 31 years old, but coming in just 9-0, three fights in the UFC, all three by stoppage, two of them by very early stoppage, nine seconds over Alan Crowder, 29 seconds over Andre Arlovsky. It's tough to know exactly who a guy is at that point. You know he's got power. You know he's got sort of that rawness to him that you're like, oh, man, uh... Can I see him against all these names? Can I see him one day against nganu which is obviously uh, Francis Nganu, a name that Rosenstrue called out after the, the the fight ended, which, wow, you want to talk about a sexy matchup there. But you don't really know until you put somebody into a main event slot. You give them the opportunity to go five rounds. You put them in there against a legitimate battle-tested veteran in 39-year-old Alistair Overeem to find out what they really have, who they are really are. Are they an all-or-nothing slugger? Or can they go out there and show you wrinkles and show you the ability to bounce back? And, you know, for four plus rounds, uh, Rosenstruck got 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 handled. Uh, It wasn't an embarrassing performance, but it was very technical and smart from Overeem. He switched stances. He took the fight to the ground. He sort of did all those veteran tricks that showed you, I'm going to stretch this guy out. I'm going to find out if he has the gas tank. I'm going to find out if he has the variety in his game and. You consider of what we know after the fact that Overeem entered that fifth round up four rounds to zero on all three scorecards, and by the way, I think that was the right call. The, it was it's it was a narrative that was heading in a certain direction. I mean, it's such a thin line between winning and losing to begin with in MMA because you can lose a number of ways. You know, wild knockout punch, you can get submitted out of nowhere. I mean, you can. There's so many ways to lose in MMA that. You're always sort of a split second away from a narrative changing drastically. But the narrative heading into the final five seconds for this fight was that, all right, Rosenstruck may become somebody. And he certainly has a puncher's chance against everybody. But there were elements of Francis Ngannou getting rushed into the Steve Miocic heavyweight title fight that time where it was like, okay, Rosenstruck does not have a lot of savvy, does not have a lot of layers to him. Uh, a veteran sort of humbled him. And by the way, this would have been a good loss for Rosenstrick. It would have been one of those where you're like, okay, you're going to have to go back to the drawing board. You're going to have to improve your cardio. You're going to have to – well, cardio actually really wasn't the problem, but you're going to have to really round out your game. And then with four seconds to go, Jairzinho showed you what he's capable of and why he's so dangerous. And, yes, Overeem was fading just a bit, but the biggie boy from Suriname uh, the six foot two two hundred and forty six pound monster uncork that right hand, and it's like you give him so much credit for dialing in and going that distance and being able to deliver a punch like that. I mean, how about that elbow in the last possible second from Yair Rodriguez, that freak backward elbow, of the Finnish Korean zombie to be able to have the presence of mind and the commitment to deliver a strike like that so late and be able to rescue yourself from a fight is certainly a plus I want to give Rosenstrick here. And to have that sick power to basically tear apart a man's face, it's crazy that he gets this miraculous victory against a worn-down Overeem who just kind of uh, exposed him to a certain degree for four and a half rounds, and yet the new narrative coming out, a thin line between winning and losing and loving and hating, and now it's like, holy crap, Rosenstrick is must-see TV. He's for real. He's dangerous. He's 10-0, and 4-0 in the UFC, four knockouts. And he's using words like Francis Ngannou. Wow, can you smell that? It is a beautiful aroma that arouses me. Me too, Connor. But, 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 but do I want to see Rosenstrick against... Uh, In Ganu, yeah, you better believe it. It's sexy as heck. But I don't think that really changes the full narrative, though. I mean, Rosenstrick had the five-round cardio to be able to do that with four seconds to go, but he's still got a long road to go. And in a loss here in this spot like almost would have been a moral victory because of how much he has to learn, yet he was able to pull this win out. And it's like, I want to be honest and real and be like, He's not a title contender right now, and he showed you that for four and a half rounds. Why? Yet when you knock fools out, you can fast track, and you can get ahead, and you can go, and you can get pushed, and he's fun, and UFC has something here. And I think I was a little bit more harsh, my reaction in the beginning of like, oh, man, he got lucky. He just bailed himself out when... It's good for the division. Something Luke Thomas said this week on, on Morning Combat, the show I do on Showtime. It, 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 he's right. The heavyweight division does need that reload. When you look at the top 10 going back five, six, seven years, it's like the same late 30s retread guys just getting rotated in and out. I mean, look, Overeem's one of them, right? Uh, a Verdum, one of them that sort of get rotated in and out, and they go on two fight losing skids and then two fight win streaks, and they alternate, and they're just there. We do need young blood. We do need these guys to take chances and find out how great they can be. So for for Rosenstrick, that's that's a that's a monster win and he's gonna get catapulted from it, but there is a lot to work on and, and he's young for heavyweight age and heavyweights mature late and wow, what a wild sequence to end this fight. I mean you really just have to stop and be like, Wow, when you have that kind of power and you can end a fight in that matter Yes, you are able to shift the narrative just like that. So shout out to Rosenstrick. I don't know if you go who <sighs> No, I mean, Nganu is so wor- worthy of a title shot that I don't think you want to do that next. I think you almost want to keep them separated. You, you're going to have to match. You got to match Rosenstrick in the kind of opponent, I think, who can continue to stretch him and test him a little bit so you can help him get well-rounded. But again, when you got sick power that does that, it breaks the rules and you get pushed into fights that maybe you're not ready for and you, because because promoters see money, they see ratings, they see star value, and uh, people get set to hell when you have that kind of power. So, shout out to Rosenstrick for adding some life into this heavyweight division. That is needed. Look, I want to see Stepe DC3 and heavyweights mature late so you can linger into your early 40s, certainly, but... You know, I also want to see uh, things reset and reloaded and and have some guys for the future. So that was your main event at UFC DC. But it came after uh, just a wild stretch of fights, man, straight up. This co-main event, this three-round majority draw between Marina Rodriguez and Cynthia Calvillo was a fun-ass fight to watch. And I question Calvillo getting the draw here. Two of the three judges give her a 10-8 final round, in which, yes, she did dominate Marina. She she took her down. She took her back in spots. She was doing the Brock Lesnar, Frank Mir in the rematch type of pounding with the punches from behind. But for the first two rounds, I mean, I get how the scoring equals out to a majority draw, yet at the same time, was that really a 10-8 round? It's tough to say because... Marina Rodriguez had had really largely dominated the first two rounds. Her Muay Thai game was insanely good. And Calvillo had to show such an incredible chin to be able to hang in there. And that's what's so enticing about Calvillo and was since she initially made that splash onto UFC and had that early unbeaten start is that she has these championship level intangibles that she's showing early. A great chin uh, an ability to to withstand things and adjust and and aggressiveness and finishing power and all these great things, yet she's got issues making weight and hasn't made two of the last three and came in unprofessional, four and a half pounds overweight for this one. So straw weight's a deep division and always has been, and it's a fun division, and she's a great player in there. But if she can't make this, even with the potential of her being small, 10 pounds north at flyweight, she's really, really good. And this draw almost comes like a mini gift for the fact of how much she had been dominated the first two rounds. That maybe you go to 125 if you're her, and it's a shorter path to the top. It is what it is. It's Valentina Shevchenko on top. She's gonna have that title defense coming up against Caitlin chukagian and there's really nobody else. And there's some young names trying to figure out if they can end up being next. But that's a that's a division that's open. That's open for the taking. So if Calvillo can hang there and she can adjust her game, but she's talked, you know, that, that might be the move. She has talked about going to the PI uh, in, in Vegas UFC performance Institute and really letting their doctors and trainers work with her and kind of make the decision for her. But something's got to be done. You never know if it's discipline, diet training, all that stuff sort of mixes together, but um, there's too much talent there to see her not put it together and find out how good she can be. And up to this point, Throughout her seven-fight UFC run, really only that one loss by decision unanimous to Carla Esparza in 2017. She popped for marijuana metabolites afterwards. But outside of that, man, she's looked really good in all of her fights. But I almost want the story of this fight to be about Marina Rodriguez. 32 years old, climbed to the sport late, really tall for the division at 5'7", has such a fun... Muay Thai style and she's 12-0-2 as a pro and you could argue she deserved this win and it would have been her best win and she's fresh off a decision win over Tisha Torres in Uruguay beats Jessica Aguilar before that had the majority draw with random Marcos but look she's looked really good in the UFC and if she continues to add to her game I almost see title potential for her at 115. I know that's always been a deep division, but that division also is in its own way reloading, and you're seeing some of these names that have been around for a while now, the uh Goodell-Haz, the Kov- Kovaleviches that are that are sort of trying to reload and reinvent themselves, but it's like how much longer do they have as well where Marina Rodriguez could be a very fr- fresh name in there. I think she only gets elevated in the end from this performance in the rank, especially if Calvillo goes north. But uh fun fight card. You move on down there and, yeah, you had the slop fest. Ben Rothwell and Stefan Struve at heavyweight. Struve coming back from that very short retirement. You knew this one could get wild and sloppy and weird, and that's exactly where it went. First of all, I'll say this about Stefan Struve. Always had a great jiu-jitsu game. Always had a chin that the better fighters would find and send him to hell. He had a... For the first time, man, I really saw him using his size and his length and his jab, and he seemed to be putting some things together there until Ben Rothwell started kicking him in the uh, in the Song Yadong and started kicking him there regularly. And the two giant misses of those kicks that hit home on Struve forced a stoppage in the fight, not a st- to end the fight, but a break. He basically used the full five minutes both times. Dan Mariguleta only ends up taking away, I believe it was Mariguleta, only ends up taking away the one point in the end. Warned him the first time. Both of those kicks were so hard that I think Daniel Cormier and the broadcast nailed that You could have DQ'd him. You could have DQ'd him. You gave him the big warning the first time. Second one was flush again. Unfortunately, it weakens through big time. Give Rothwell credit. He's had an up-and-down run the last few years. You saw that failure, all that. The loss to JDS after that hot streak he had gotten on. This really weird soundbite that I like to play a lot. Right
2: now, there is not a man in this planet that can stop me only
0: politics can slow you, or USADA. We know that. Give him credit for he had a wounded animal in front of him, and he got rid of him, and he finished him in round two. You feel bad, though, for Struve. You saw them in the after the decision was read, and Struve... It wasn't talking trash, but was like, man, this is ridiculous that this happened. And it really was. And it's a sloppy fight to begin with. I don't think we need to see it again. Um, Stefan Struve, overall, though, did sort of look like he had more life and and more potential to figure this sport out. He's only 31. Heavyweights mature late. We talked about this. He's seven feet tall. But now you look at lost three, four out of his last five. Ah, that's where it's tough. That's where it's tough. He did have a winner in February over Marcos Rogério de Lima. He had the very, very short retirement. The three losses in a row before that to Volkov, Arlovsky, and Tybura. But, uh, man, um, you know, he's one of those guys because of the weird size that you're like, could he put it together? Could he ever put it together? It's hard to believe that, though, because people find his chin. And although two of those three losses that I mentioned, those were by decision, When he moves up, people find his chin, but I don't know. I'd like to see him. I'd like to see more from him and see him if he can turn this around. If he can figure out how to be, use his length better, really use that jab as a weapon and then mix it in with what he does well on the ground and the long legs and all that. Uh, Rothwell, it's, he did, he did the job. He did what he had to do. Um, I don't know where he's going at age 36. It is stops a three fight losing streak. So he certainly needed this win. In a big way, but uh, we'll see from here. And I really, if you want to see, talk about who made the biggest leap from this card, it's Rosenstrick for sure. From the idea of, you know, seconds away from losing, getting a big giant win that he can build upon here. But Aspen Ladd at Women's Bantamweight did exactly what she needed to do. Coming off of that controversial loss to Jermaine Durandamy and basically a, a de facto number one contenders fight. And it's controversial because it ended so quick, off of one punch, a couple seconds, at sixteen seconds in, whatever. You really didn't get to find out was she on that level? Was she ready for a title shot after only you know three, four, five UFC fights? Um, she's nine and one now, and she put it back on the map, and she looked good early against Yana Kunitskaya. Uh, had some good moments, had a moment there where she was screaming and yelling and grunting and trying to finish Yana on the ground and, and seemed to kind of almost gas out a little bit. But that speech, her coach gave her after the second round. If you haven't heard it, uh, find it. Google it. Go, you know, find U- UFC's uh, social media accounts or ESPN MMA because her coach let her have it. F bombs like crazy and just said, like, go out there and get her the hell out of there. And not only did Aspen Ladd do that, she did it instantly with a beautiful left hook that drops Kunitskaya. It didn't take her much longer to put her, way, put her way. 33 seconds into round three to get the finish. And now you got Aspen Ladd, who's right back where she needs to be. 9-1, 24 years old. You want to talk about a future title contender and somebody going in the right direction. Bantamweight is a division that posts... That hot when that belt became hot potato and it went from Rousey to home to Tate to now Nunez, you, you really it never that division never reset itself. You know you, those aging names that all lost to Rousey are really all going out uh, to pasture, so to speak. They cut cats and gown. They just cut Liz Carmouche out of you know so seemingly out of nowhere. They, by the way, did Liz Carmouche get a raw deal? Yes, from the fact that. She just fought for a title a couple months ago, and now she's cut. Yes, from the fact that the obscenely poor communication in which Liz Carmouche is doing PR work for the UFC and is in a car with UFC brass while she gets a notification from her manager that she's been cut. That part sucks. That part's bad. There's this weird excuse they gave her, though. They're saying, look, we're trying to go younger in this division, and you're beating all of our young people. And to, to some degree, that's true. They're basically saying, look, you're a gatekeeper. But it's not fully true. I don't know, it's weird. It's Look, here's where Carmouche doesn't have a leg to stand on. Should she have been fired? Now, no. You, there's, she's, she's still a good fighter. She can make good fights. She just worked herself into a title. Granted, in a division at 125, that is so shallow. But since the Rousey loss, she's only 5-4. and four. And there's only one finish win in there. And let's be really honest. Carmouche laid an egg against Valentina Shevchenko in her title fight. She didn't try to win the fight. She tried to survive. It was not a good fight. Can you say Shevchenko should have tried to do more? Well, yes. But at the same time, she did try to do more. And yeah, she showed a little bit too much respect to Karmouche. But Karmouche... Didn't go out there and try to win it, so you don't have a, a ton to stand on. A, you know, a, a, I didn't even think she deserved a title shot at that point. So it's crappy the way it went down. But this is what UFC is trying to do, trying to find some some bodies there. Uh, I know that was straw weight, and this is bantam weight. But I think this is a, a an issue going across a few di- women's divisions right now. Uh, I'm sorry, that was flyweight. So look, straw weight one fifteen always been loaded. Best division in the sport, not called men's lightweight. Flyweight, Shevchenko on top, nobody else. We're trying to get some more people to pop up there. You know, maybe it's a, maybe Calvillo can go up there like we mentioned. Featherweight, there's nobody. There's never been anybody. Bantamweight, they're also trying to reload. And this is where Aspen Ladd comes in. She is so physically strong. She can take the fight to the ground. She has really good ground and pound. And when you see her improve boxing, I'm not saying right now she's a threat to Amanda Nunes, but she could end up being, and of course, Nunez this week, and I know I say her name, is it Nunez? Is it Nunez? It's certainly more Nunez, Amanda Nunez than Nunez. I do kind of float between the two, though, but she's got to get past GDR in the rematch on Saturday for the title for sure, but Aspen Lad is showing us a lot, and I really like what I'm seeing, and I really want to see her continually match tough and, and show us how great she can be. A um, couple other pieces of business on this card. Rob and Ricky Simone had a heck of a bantamweight bout. Three rounds, fun back and forth. Simone's uh, mullet is absolutely out of control in all the right ways. Uh, so shout out to him for pulling the back. It's almost becoming like like you can ponytail it in the back. It's it's party like crazy. And Rob Font is climbing the ladder. I really like what I saw. His jab was on point. He's 32 years old now. Three wins in his last four, and they're over Simone, Sergio Pettis, and Thomas Almeida. Like, that's a heck of a thing he's putting together. Only losses against the very best when you consider Rafael Asuncao and Pedro Munoz. uh, And then the the one early loss in his career to John Lineker in Brazil. Um, This guy's showing you that he's getting in line. He's getting in line. That's a crowded division. He's getting in line. You like to see that. Uh, The husk of Thiago Alves' uh, first-round submission loss via guillotine to Tim Means. Uh, Chuck Mindenhall, my friend at the Athletic, his boy Matt Wyman taking a hard loss there to Joe Selecki by decision. But um, fun little fight that kicked off with uh, a highlight that you need to see if you haven't. The first fight of the night on the early prelim cards, a middleweight named Mahmoud Muradov. His knockout punch of Trevor Smith is insane. One punch KO in round three twisting Trevor Smith's body as it happened and the mouthpiece going in the other direction of the punch. You got to check that one out. Maybe this is a fighter to watch. It's one of those highlights. We're like, wow. And then that other highlight to see, they had a catchweight bout at 148 and a half pounds. And Bryce Mitchell submits Matt Sales by Twister in round one in which he's Got the north side of his body stretched in one direction and the south side stretched in the other, only the second time in history. I believe Korean Zombie was the only other person to pull that submission off. And Bryce Mitchell uh, is 12 and 1 now. Guy doesn't even have a Wikipedia page, but he's making noise. He knows what he's doing in the interviews. He's like, a, I call them redneck Richard Gere. He's charismatic. He's bold. He's brash. This is a man I need to see more of. Now, uh, it was. Mitchell's opponent, Sales, who missed weight. That's why that was a catch weight bout. But you're talking about a guy at Featherweight here who I'm interested. I'm interested. Uh, UFC DC was a good piece of business. Shout out to Sugar Rashad Evans working the broadcast for ESPN, our buddy there. Like I mentioned, Brandon Wiles will be back last week. Sugar Rashad will be here shortly later in the show to break down 245, but also this weekend. We had the gas station hot dog of mixed martial arts. You heard our bonus episode last week previewing it. It was Tito Alberto. Which side are you on? The biggest fight in Combate America's MMA history. It was a pay-per-view in the U.S. And it was extra sloppy. Like you could only (laughs) uh, guess it was. Um, Shout out to Tito Ortiz for... F-44 being in hella shape. But this was a one-sided matchup on paper. Alberto Del Rio, El Patron, whatever you call him, former WWE superstar, 42 years old. Yes, had a had a fight background, 9-5 record in MMA, but had lost when he would ever step up to big fights in Pride. Uh, hasn't fought in a decade. He came in in great shape himself. He did show toughness in this fight. It only went around... And he got taken down at will against Tito. But he used his size and, and the you know, what's left of his amateur wrestling background to, like I said, survive at times. And, you know, I'll give him that. But this was completely one-sided for Tito Ortiz. He was smart, intelligent, patient, poised in how he delivered the ground and pound to eventually set up the choke. Alberto got the fight back to the feet a few times. But it was one-sided, like it should have been. And Tito... Look, his career's man. His his career's so long, and I can't believe it's in like its fourth or fifth chapter. And it probably shouldn't still be going on yet. He's five and one since leaving the UFC, and the wins aren't awful. I mean, there's old guy win. They're all old guy wins there mostly, but you know, he beat Chael and beat Stephen Bonner, and in Bellator, all, you know, fought for the title against Liam McGarry and came up short, and sent old man Chuck Liddell to hell. And I'm not saying this is a great win here, but. This is a good way to sort of go out of the sport on your own terms, although I'm not sure that's Tito's plan. The talk afterwards is that, you know, he would continue to cash checks here with Combate and continue to look for opportunities. And look, they could match him the right way in ways that he's not going to get hurt, and they want to try to build stars off of his name, and he still wants to make money. I mean, I've seen people his age look worse in a cage for sure. Tito's in really, really good shape. And, he, and for a guy who's had a lot of, turmoil and ups and downs in his personal life outside of his career while his career is going on to see him come out for this fight with his sons uh he, you know and there's a lot of talk that he's a really good dad and it, it just kind of in a weird way i mean this was slop this was circus this was carnival and it kind of felt good just like there was part of that really weird uh chuck and tito third fight under the golden boy mma banner that it, it shouldn't happen it was awful yet you almost felt for Tito trying to get some type of retribution, some type of victory in that very one-sided rivalry and friendship and enemy ship that they had. And I almost felt that. And it's almost ridiculous to say it, but I almost felt that. And yeah, there were so many weird elements to this fight. Like, Uh, Alberto bringing in his 2011 or 12, whatever, WWE Spinner Championship. And somehow they put that on the line and Tito won it and gave it to his kids. And Tito had his old school UFC belt there. And it was carnival crap. Here's the problem. Here's the big problem. You get business-wise what Combate's doing. Alberto was an executive in their company. You know, like... They cashed in that big lottery ticket of what if we put him in there against somebody we can, you know, on the, on paper, you're bringing attention to the brand. Hopefully people watch that whole pay-per-view, saw their younger fighters, saw their style, their presentation, heard Max Bretas on the call with Juliana Pena, you know, and then they actually somehow got Jorge Masvidal for part of that card as well. So, you know, that's not a bad move right now to pay that that money to get that. And you're hoping that people watch that and go, oh, I like these guys. I'd watch them again. And that's the goal. Right. But there was nobody in that arena, and it was sad. And when I say nobody, look, they're in a tiny arena, the Payne Arena in McAllen, Texas, and they're strategically placed on the border there. And, you know, they're trying to – there's a promotion that does well and attracts the Hispanic audience, and, and they got, you know, a Mexican-American guy and a Mexican superstar in there, and, and you get what they're doing. And I'm not expecting the world, and I'm not trying to crap on them when they're down. But this is an arena that for concerts holds, you know, almost 7,000. It's a a small arena. But the first thing I noticed when that broadcast turned on and you saw the house lights go on and the crowd is that there was nobody there. And when I say nobody, there was nobody there. There were only people scattered in the front seats around the cage. I mean, it looked maybe like they had 2,000 in there. And that's really, really bad. I don't know how you don't. And maybe they did this. I don't know. I don't know how at that point you're not so scared of having this happen that you don't go paint the town, knock on every paper of the town, knock on every door, and just throw free tickets at people because you can't have this as a visual. And the thing is that it's like I got to give them some elements of credit. There was a lot of pro wrestling to the build to this fight, to the press conferences, to the weigh-in, which – really was theatrical almost and they they pushed each other which is what you want them to do to sell this fight at the weigh-in the entrances for this fight were like professional pride looking like it was a good looking show and you look around the crowd and you're like oh we really are at a gas station and here come the two hot dogs and i mean what do you expect bc i know it is what it is but it what it is what well, wasn't good wasn't good you know, let's can we bring in Sean Porter, the boxer, with that really weird uh, sound bite that I always play on the boxing show? Can you please tell you what it is? Thank you, Sean. It ain't, and it won't, and
1: you not, and you ain't. Simple as that. It
0: is, and unfortunately for Combate, that's what it felt like. Sorry, it's the truth, folks. I did like interviewing their people, though. I do like me this style of fight. I was hoping Alberto could have a moment. Wasn't possible. Shout out to Tito. Got the win. I don't even know who else they have there that you can match with Tito. But I love me an old guy fight. I love me the from the, right from the Bellator playbook. If they got him another old guy and it made sense, would I care? Yeah, I'd probably have him on my podcast. Maybe that's a character flaw. You deal with that. I watched it. Shout out to Tito. Thank you. All right. Yes, indeed. Okay. His chin is deteriorating. Yeah, so is mine. All right, Connor. Thank you. A uh, little bit of news we saw this week in the MMA news cycle. Um, I, I really don't like what's going on with this Frankie Edgar situation. He was already on the books to fight Corey Sanhagen in January in a co-main event. And UFC fast tracks him for a December 21st card in Asia. It was supposed to be the return. Finally, finally the return at featherweight of your former title contender coming off with so many injuries. T city, Brian Ortega against Korean zombie and like a hell a good match that you have to see Ortega's unfortunately hurt. He's going to be out at least three months. I mean, this is tough because he's been out for a year now and we never saw him make that comeback from that damaging title loss to Max Holloway in which on one side, His body, his face fell apart. It was a damaging loss. Yet, I'm going to go to my grave telling you he was coming on in that fight. He had Max backed up. He figured it out. A guy with great jiu-jitsu was basically like, I'm not even going to try to take this man down. I'm going to try to just walk through him. And he was willing to go out in a shield, and we never saw him again. So this is a step back there. UFC, though, in some ways did the right thing, right? They go... Who's in that Rich Franklin category? What does that mean? I always say that. When you are a veteran and you're no longer in the title picture, but you can float weight classes, you can sell tickets, you still can make fun fights, all that good stuff, you just stay in the bullpen. Who's in that spot? Frankie Edgar. They call 38-year-old Frankie Edgar. They say, you want to fight, you know, Korean zombie? Save this main event. It's probably for a big last-minute paycheck. He's like, heck yeah. He's also a company man. He's also a guy who's willing to fight at any time. Okay? He takes it. Yet UFC does not take him off the books against Corey Sanhagen a month away from that. That's not good. I don't even care if Frankie Edgar wins this fight. How do you not take damage in a fight against Korean Zombie? How are you not jeopardizing the future business of that co-main event about against Sanhagen? I think it's just a bad look to do that. It's one or the other. Okay. And it's weird because Frankie was trying to reinvent himself at Bantamweight. And now this featherweight opportunity comes up, so he just drops everything and takes it. And I'm not mad at that. He can be this generation's uh, Rich Franklin in weight classes and just sort of fill in. He's not in the title picture anymore. He, you know, they 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 rewarded him. They gave him that max title shot. It never happened. He never became a two division champion. He's an all time legend. He's great. But did you not remember what happened to Michael Bisping when he got st- submitted and beaten down by GSP, lost his title? And then, like, less than a month later, the UFC sent him to China in that main event against Kelvin Gastelum and let him get sent to hell. It's a bad look. It was a bad loss, a bad look. He was still under medical suspension from New York, and they got that cleared. Like, it's just not good. These, these guys are old. You cannot do it. Like, if, 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 like, 29-year-old Chris Lieben wants to be a crazy psychopath or Donald Cerrone and take two fights in a week, maybe. Maybe. You can't do two fights in a month for 38 with Frankie Edgar against top-level competition. Bad, bad look. I hope they do the right thing and and make that stop, all right? That's it. That's what I got for you, okay? DC says the trilogy bout with Stipe might not end up happening until the summer. That's fine with me. Just make it happen, all right? That's the only fight that would get me to give up on my dream of DC John Jones 3 and do that. at would have you with him. We may not ever see that, and that's fine. But DC Stipe Stipe, 3 is the fight to figure out who's the best heavyweight in UFC history, besides Kane. And I know you're going to say, well, Kane, you know, prime for prime, Kane's the best heavyweight UFC ever had. You know that deep in your heart. I know you do. I know you do. Um, As you're listening to this, I'm probably on a plane headed to UFC 245 this weekend. I'm fired up. I'm fired the heck up, folks. This is a loaded card. Loaded. Three title fights atop it. And really from the standpoint of main card, it's about as good as it gets. I'll put these five fights in this main card up against any of the past 2 years and I think it's in the conversation. I think we had this conversation on this show a couple years or a couple uh, months ago about, you know, what's the best you know, top seven or eight fight card we've ever seen. And I think I, I shouted out UFC 205. Also UFC 217 was loaded in recent memory for five fights to top the card this weekend. Las Vegas T-Mobile Arena. UFC 245 is that is that show when you look at what the, what's going on here. This is one of those cards where if you're a journalist and you get in, look, I'll give UFC a lot of credit for always being organized. It's so the opposite of boxing. You go there for media day, Ultimate media, you get one-on-ones with every fighter. Maybe the main event guys, you got to do it in a scrum, but you get one-on-ones with everyone. This is one of those cards when I look up and down, I'm saying, who do I want to interview? I can interview Colby, Max Holloway, uh, Amanda Nunez, the GOAT, you know, the quote. Don't, don't ever say that again. The GOAT, not quote. No Clar- Clarissa Shields. We're not doing Greatest Woman of All Time. There's no such thing as a quote. The GOAT, Amanda Nunez. I can talk to Jose Aldo. Petrayan. Uriah Faber, Mike Perry, Matt Brown, Ian Heinish, like, you know, Jessica Ai, I'm fired up for some of these personalities, storylines, names. We're going to get the preview very shortly. I'm going to toss to it that was uh, shot earlier this week. You can also see the video version on YouTube on the CBS Sports, uh, sorry, shot earlier today uh, of Sugar Rashad Evans, your UFC Hall of Famer, and Tommy Tran, my boy Tommy Tran of CBS Sports HQ, breaking it down, but I'm going to give you my thoughts on it right now. Great S card. What's the one? What's the fight? What's the fight on this card that has three title fights atop it? I think it's the main event. And I think it's weird how Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington for the welterweight title. Don't forget these two hate each other. They almost fought in the uh, buffet line that time at the Bellagio. I think it was. There's no buzz for this fight. And it's so weird. And we thought You know, I tried to even argue to my boss to say, hey, let's send the whole team to 245. There's so much potential traffic here. And they're like, yeah, deep card. I'm not sure there's movers on it. I thought Colby and Kamaru would have this thing red hot. And I thought Colby would be the greatest gift to Kamaru to make him a star should he win on Saturday. In the same way that Chael Sonnen was the greatest gift. That ever happened to Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva, you absolutely suck! Right? Like, him getting out there and saying stuff like that helped make people love Anderson Silva even more. Never piss off a gangster. Never, Chael. Never, okay? I'm not a martial artist. I am a fighter. He made Anderson Silva just as much as Silva's sublime ability during that window that they were rivals. When Anderson Silva walks into a room, you could hear a rat piss on cotton. I thought Colby would do that. I feel like it's dead leading up to there. It's fine. This card's still going to bang. It's still going to be great. It's still going to be fine. But this fight is so compelling because Colby's on this three-year run of doing this character, and he claims he was almost cut by the UFC for being boring, and that's where this... MAGA character, this crazy guy who tries to make everybody mad started. and People say it's an act, and it's a great act because it makes you hate him. It makes you care. I didn't think he was this fighter. I still almost don't believe it, even though I watched him do this against RDA, Damian Maya, Robbie Lawler earlier this year. I I cannot believe he has that gas tank, that he's that quick, that he's that relentless, but he doesn't have a striking game. And yeah, I know you can make the same case about Kamaru Usman, the champion not finishing fighters. But Kamaru Usman batters fighters, though. Batters them when he takes them down. And that's the difference. They both suck the life out of your gas tank. Tyron Woodley, I never would have guessed that Usman would have handled him like he did to win the championship. Woodley, to me, was that unsung, pound-for-pound hero that you're just like, he's figured out the game. He's so efficient. He knows what he's doing. He was helpless. So now you're taking two dominant wrestlers that have different ways that they that they attack their wrestling, but it but when you get this type of skill level together in the same skill, how many times have we seen this? Their wrestling can cancel each other out. I don't know if that's going to happen this time because the way that they set up their takedowns and the way that they uh, attack their wrestling is different I Luke Thomas does a great technical breakdown on on morning combat dissected of why that is different I think if you go back to when this fight was announced he did a whole episode on it but if the wrestling cancels each other out I love Kamaru Usman in this fight look Colby's better than he has any right to be better than we thought he was he's proven us wrong at every stop if he wins and he does the full shtick. There's no really telling what he can become as a brand and celebrity and a sort of hate watch for people. I just don't think he's got the dog in him that Kamaru Usman potentially has. Uh, some people think it's one of them are going to figure it out with their wrestling and they're going to dominate this fight. I just see Kamaro Usman as a guy who can finish. And I think he's more aggressive. And if this, beca- I kind of hope this becomes a weird fight. What do I mean by that? Do you remember when Damian Maya and Ben Askren recently fought? We're like, you know, one of the best wrestlers in MMA history against maybe the best jiu-jitsu grappler pr- practitioner in MMA. And we we saw for most of that fight a weird, sloppy-ass, kind of awkward slugging match as they both were like, okay, we're going to cancel each other out probably, but let's set things up on the feet. You never know what can happen. If if Colby and Kamaru's wrestling cancels each other out and they have to try different things. Different things that they're not really used to or known for. This can be this could be an interesting fight. And I think either way, there's there's gonna be drama here. I think either way this is going the distance, and I think even though Kamaru has a better chance at finishing Colby in my mind, they're both tough. They both have such high gas tanks. They both are so their work rate is through the roof that I think Uzman wins a decision here and I think it's gonna be fun. I think it's gonna be dramatic, and I and I I can't wait to see the adjustments that are made in there. And certainly you know I'm excited about Max Holloway and Ale- Alexander Volkanovsky. You could make a case that this could end up being Holloway's toughest title defense at Featherweight because Volkanovsky has just done everything right and he can fight, man, he can bang. And he can do a lot of different things. We don't know. We know he's really good. We don't know if he's great. He's To beat Max Holloway on this run that he's on, you're going to have to be great. And Max bounced back from that Poirier loss that was a little over his head. And he caught the wrong guy on the wrong night because Poirier was determined. I was there at that fight in Atlanta in April, and it was insanity for five rounds. But Max has this crazy ability to just bounce back, man, when we think his health is in danger, when we think he's taking too much damage despite being so young he just stays at it and proves me wrong i kind of feel like he's just going to do that again because he commands distance so well you can't take him down his volume's crazy his chin is crazy and he just kind of wears you down Yet how many times have we made in title fights, especially when a, a changing of the guard happens, do we not see that coming in? We 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 pick the champion of old and say, you know, he's just gonna just find a way to do it again. And then the new guy comes in and he shakes things up and he knocks him out, and you're just like, Wow, I should have saw that coming. By the way, Kamaru Usman and Woodley, same thing. Still, I love Max Holloway in this fight. And I love this card because Holloway Volkanovski probably has the most potential of any fight on this card to just be a banger, just be a fight of the year. And it may end up being, even though I like the drama and the storytelling a little better in Kamaru Colby, even though I really don't think that fight has maxed out its potential. But a real interesting bout is this Women's Bantamweight Championship bout, Amanda Nunez, Jermaine Durandamy, and Durandamy's live. GDR's tough, she's tough. I know they fought before. I know Amanda, a much younger Amanda took her down and, and just dominated her. but that fight, that fight took place a long, a long time ago for both of them in terms of who they are and where they're at. November 2013, six years ago, okay? Uh, GDR has not lost since then. And when you look at this run and she's never been insanely active, She didn't fight at all in 2014. Knocked out Larissa Pacheco in 2015. Knocked out Anna Elmrose in 2016. Fought just once in 2017 when she won the women's featherweight title from Holly Holman. That five-round fight didn't fight again until a almost two years later when she was back at Bantamweight and she beat Raquel Pennington by decision. And then she came back in July and had that 16-second TKO of Aspen Ladd. But she's... She's nasty, and she's technical, and she's kind of unflappable. So if she can strike from the outside and make this a technical fight and not succumb to the kind of finishing blows that Nunes has been able to land, I, I this is interesting. This is a really interesting fight. Obviously, things could change if it goes to the ground, but if Jermaine Duranami can be the taller, bigger, longer fighter and... You look, you're, as always in the spot, you are going to have to discipline the champion. You are going to have to land something big that makes the man to go. Okay, I got to think here. I got to have a plan B. But this is a real uh, interesting chess match. And the thing for Amanda Nunez is, don't make it a chess match. And look, Amanda Nunes is great. She's the greatest women's fighter ever. I mean, look at her resume. So in some ways, I'd almost like her to see her commit to a chess match and say, okay, that's you know, because this is what she's done lately. She wanted to finish Holly Holm by head kick to show she can do that. She did it, right? She went in there and outslug Chris Cyborg, which is her style. She did it. I want to see her kind of see if she can outpoint her. But yet at the same time, if you're the greatest of all time and you and you can finish people, I uh, you know I could just as well see Amanda Nunez finishing this fight late and breaking open a close fight with a finishing blow. But that's the theater we have to see. And it's the two other fights on this main card, both Bantamweight bouts, that are hella must-see and could main event almost any other, you know, non-pay-per-view. Marlon Moraes against Jose Aldo. And Aldo, the legend, moving down in weight. And the pictures are hard to tell if they're scary or if he's done this weight cut perfectly. He's always been a small featherweight. But he's all abs, and it's scary how how tight his abs are. How I hope that physically he'll be okay if he is. Marlon Moraes was a killer, and then he got humbled and that lost to Cejudo, and now he's coming back, and he's 31, and this could be violence. And I don't like all those chances here. And I, ho- but yeah, like it's like he's that aging champion that makes you just want to just you just hope you hope he's got a shot, you hope he's got a chance to do it and show you something there. So it's wild, it's wild. I can't wait to see. It. And then of course you got that crossroads fight to open the main card with Uriah Faber back on this comeback, fresh off the win over Ricky Simone, 40 years old, Hall of Famer against Peter Jan, Petra Jan, Peyote Jan, however they're saying it these days. I mean, this could be bad news for Faber, yet at the same time, he could humble the 26-year-old crushing Russian. I don't know, man. Jan, good wins over Jimmy Rivera and John Dodson. He's shown us some finishes in UFC that show his power. He could take you down. This is a great fight. You gotta like youth. It's it's hard to favor favor here, but you know they look really good against Simone. It's gonna be great. And look, you got Mike Perry and Jeff Neal, the prelim main event, which just could be a banger. I gotta see Ketlin Vieira here. This is somebody I said women's bantamweight is empty. This is somebody who's been on a run. She'll face Irene Aldana, uh, and I'm probably butchering that name as well. I tend to butcher that name. But Ketlin Vieira is ten and zero, and she's fresh off that split decision win over Zingano. But that came in March 2018, so she's been out a while. Uh, she had the knee injury that pulled her out of that fight against Tanya Evinger last September. So this is her chance to kind of say I'm here. I'm ready to fight for a title. So it would be interesting if she ends up being a future opponent for Amanda Nunez Nunes, And then of course, um, you know, you they got some old guy stuff, Matt Brown, Ben Saunders. I'm always here for Ian Heinish putting the train back on the tracks. He's got Omari Akhmedov, uh, Brandon Moreno's back. Jessica, I buried on this card coming off of that title loss to Shevchenko. So That guy Puna from Hawaii from the Contender Series is going to kick off this card. This is a fun-ass piece of business. I can't wait to check it out. Vegas, UFC 245. Get ready, like I mentioned, this Friday I'm going to have an interview, all-interview show for you from Media Day, be able to track down as many of these names that we're talking about here. We'll have fun. We'll make people laugh. We'll talk serious. We'll ask interesting questions. Exactly. We'll ask a lot of that stuff, and we'll get down to business. Oh, heck to the yeah, folks. You like boxing special interview show this Thursday. Do not miss it. Teofimo Lopez Jr. Mick Conlan, get you fired up. That's a triple header with Terrence Crawford on Saturday on ESPN Boxing. You're going to want to be a part of that one post Heisman. I can't be a part of it. It's UFC 245 times. So I'm going to send you guys off in a good way to the earthquake survivor and the Hall of Famer. A great member of this show, Sugar Rashad Evans, he sat down with Tommy Tran of CBS Sports HQ to get a little, pour a little sugar on you in the name of love to get you excited for two, four, five. Put it on me, Rashad.
1: I want you to put it on me. I want you to try to do your best to put it on me, because that's the only way I want it. If you don't give me everything you got, I'm going to be pissed off. That's what she said.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tito. Hey, look, Tito's a cringeworthy uh, trash talker, but he had a little bit of a moment there. But, you know, it's Rashad Evans. It's not Bader. It's Rashad Evans. Well, guess what? Yeah, I'm, I'm not Ryan Bader. My I'm not I- Ryan
1: Bader.
0: I- Thank you. Thank you, Rashad. At least somebody uh, knows who they are here. All right. Fire it up to throw it to you guys. Uh, the show will end there. But uh, please check us out. Instant Analysis Show on Saturday night as well. Your boy, B.C., throwing it up to the man, Sugar, Rashad Evans, brother, coming at you right now.
1: Enjoy.
2: For mixed martial arts fans, the wait is almost over. UFC 245, December 14th, this Saturday from T-Mobile Arena, and there are not one, not two, but three title fights in Sin City and also on the main card a couple of bantamweight fights that is sure to be exciting, worth every penny we think here this weekend. CBS Sports HQ getting you ready for UFC 245. And with that, let's say what's good streaming people. With me, the one, the only, with Evans, the Hall of Famer here to break it down. Again, we are going to talk about every single fight here, five that we just talked about, including the three title fights. And before we sort of get to the breakdowns, Sugar, I want to do it because I'm I'm more of a a journalist and reporter. I kind of like the storyline. So let's start with the two non-title fights in the Bantamweight, right? You got Petr Yan, the Russian up-and-coming against the 40-year-old, the California kid, in Uriah Faber. And I want to talk about Uriah Faber first because he's coming off the contract that he wanted. Now, whether he fulfills that entire contract, maybe not. But what kind of peace of mind do you think this gives the California kid coming into this fight?
1: Well, I mean, he's riding high. You know, he had a big stoppage over Ricky Simone in his return back from his retirement and that kind of like let him know that he can do it again so i think he's still riding high off that wave and he's been still competing and training with the guys at alpha male because he's their leader at alpha male so he's still in there training with those young guys who's still out there competing so he still feels like he has it and stepping in against peter Yan, peter going to be you know a step up in competition but it's something that i feel that you know uriah is excited for because when you're the guy and you've been the guy for so long you want to set yourself your, your sights on knocking somebody else off who's at the top.
2: He's jumped around different organizations, but he loves the UFC. And part, I'm sure, Rajan is that he wants to take this fight. If he has a chance here, an upside that if he wins, possibly a chance all the way that catapults him to the top with Henry Cejudo.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, Jan is at the top, you know, and Jan is one of those guys who is, you know, extremely well. You know, he has great uh, combination striking inside, and there's not much that this guy can't do. You know, he's very creative inside the octagon, but he's one of those new age fighters that just does everything, every single thing well, and they don't have any tells on what they're gonna do. That's what Uriah is gonna be up against. So Uriah is gonna have to make this fight an ugly fight. He's gonna have to make this fight something that Peter Jan hasn't been in, in which is the dogfight.
2: What, since you mentioned it, sort of what Uriah needs to do and the emergence of a Petter Jan, a boxing striker guy. He's added Muay Thai to, to his repertoire. What stands out to you about the growth of, of his game and how he's evolved in such a short amount of time here?
1: Well, I think you know what Petter Jan is just you know his, his mindset when it comes to you know stepping in for these big fights because it's one thing to be that guy, but it's another thing when you're stepping up against big competition, and now he's gonna step up against big competition with Uriah Faber. And in order to, you know, get the title shot to get the knot, he has to, you know, have an impressive win and a knockout over a guy like Uriah favorite to prove that he's in the conversation.
2: All right, Petter Jan's coming in as a 5-1 to one favorite. Who do you like in this one and why? I like Petter
1: Jan. I mean, you know, the, the favorites don't lie. I think that, you know, his activity inside the Octagon, you know, his youth, uh, his combination, his whole his total game when it comes down, I think it's just, you know, it, it's on another level. And I think that in order for Uriah to be able to match that, he's going to really have to catch him. And, and, and cause you know Peter, Peter Jan to shell up and make a mistake, but for the most part, I just can't see Peter Jan making a mistake.
2: All right, Jan will look to get the victory, again, try to catapult himself in contention for a, a title fight. Ahead of him is Marlon, uh, Marlon Moraes, and you got Jose Aldo, so one versus three, an all-Brazilian matchup. Give me the keys to this one for you.
1: Yeah, I think the, the big key is here you know, for, for, um, for, for Marlon is just to go out there and to you know use his game. You know Marlon has a really good, uh, good striking game as well as a good transitional wrestling game. You know he has Mark Henry in his corner, and Mark Henry is a maestro when it comes to uh, calling plays. You know because he has a code and he calls codes, and you just do whatever code that he calls. So you know you have a, you have another man in there with Mark Henry when it when it comes to that. So I really like that. And with Aldo, he, he's cutting weight. And when you're that old and you're cutting weight and you and you've been battle tested like that that may necessarily not be the best thing for you, especially if you have cut too much weight. Look at that. He's looking that, slim there. I mean, and, and that's the thing. Like, when you see a guy cutting that much weight, you got to think, okay, he's got his weight down, but is he going to be able to get the water weight back on in time so he can take big blows in there and that's the problem sometimes you you, you take big shots in there and you cut so much weight and your brain can't absorb the shock and you get knocked out
2: all right we're seeing josie going down again from 145 to 135 it sounds like you like Morais here what do you anticipate saturday night
1: i think Morais is just going to be too fast and he's going to be frustrating for for um for uh, Jose, you know, uh, he, Jose doesn't kick as much as he used to, and I think that's going to hurt him going against a guy like Marlon Moraes who moves around a lot on the outside and, and uh, stabs in with his sh- with his punches. So I just think that Moraes Mar- is going to have too much tools for him and just, you know, be too fresh for him.
2: All right, those are two bantamweight fights on the main card, but they're not title fights. We do have one bantamweight fight. That is for the title. It's in the women's side. Amanda Nunes and Jermaine Durandamy. It is a rematch, although it's about six years apart. First off, I want to ask you, because I went back and looked at the video uh, of the first fight in 2013 out at the military base in Kentucky. And, you know, they're both relatively unknowns. And we obviously know now what Amanda has been able to do. But when you've gone that far from fighting someone from Amanda's side, I, I, she's taken Shevchenko on before, but this will be another time with a big gap in between. What do you think that is like as, as a fighter?
1: Uh, you know, for for Amanda, she's, she's just cruising, you know, and, and her resume as of late, you know, beating Cyborg and then beating Holly Holm and just, you know, having that confidence, there's nothing that she feels like she can't do and there's nothing that she hasn't been able to do. So, you know, she knows that she's already got that win under her belt and she knows when it comes down to striking, she she has a good base and, and a good leg to stand on when it comes to actually standing there going toe-to-toe with uh, world, world-renowned striking experts like Duran Duran but the thing is for her she knows that she has that takedown and she has a ground and that that top game that she had that put her put Jermaine off the first fight that's a hard gap to close in just a six year span of time.
2: It was a little interesting because Nunez got on top of Duran and, and then Herb Dean came in and stopped a little bit controversial in that first round so uh, on the other side for Doreen, I mean, we know, obviously, you mentioned the striking ability, the Muay Thai coming from the Netherlands, and, and having her background, has she evolved enough? Because we know, again, Amanda has evolved in her game. Has she evolved enough to maybe counter what we saw in that first fight?
1: Uh, I will say yes, but it still remains to be seen because she still hasn't been tested in a grappling area, which she's going to be tested with Amanda Nunes. She hasn't been in those tough positions where she's had somebody on top, and she had to answer those questions, you know, how is she going to get up, and how is she going to be once she get back up to her feet? Feet after that grappling exchange, because it's one thing to get taken down, but it's another thing to get back up to your feet and then still strike with proficiency as you did before you got taken down once the lactic acid starts building up in your muscles. And that's what your main Durandomy is going to be up against.
2: One more thing on durand which is going to be the Iron Lady against the Lioness, and it is that she's had some periods of gaps in her resume right now. And I know she's a police officer. She's got other things that she's doing. Back in the fight game, but we're looking, there's a big gap here in 15 and 19.
1: Yeah, and, and those gaps can can definitely hurt. And I think that you know the the gap that she had when, when she took the time off with the Holly fight, it was just kind of figuring out. You know, you know, she her feelings were kind of hurt, and some things she was working out in her pat her personal life. And uh, you know, I think those gaps can be hurtful but at the same time it, it can help as well when you when you have somebody like Joran Duran who doesn't have that well-rounded skill taking some time off to work on those 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 uh, skills like groundwork and the transition when someone's taking a shot on you that can help her out but it's I guess it's all depending on what you do with that time off
2: all right Amanda's coming in is a big favorite more than three to one she's going to come into the fight a belt holder of two different weight divisions. What are the chances she stays that way after done?
1: I think she stays that way. I think that, you know, uh, the ground and and being able to stop the takedowns and being able to stop, you know, Amanda passing the guard and getting that dominant ground position, I don't think that Jermaine Jermaine Duranami can do that.
2: All right, it'll be interesting to see. Again, you got the Lioness and the Iron Lady in Sin City on Saturday. Moving on, Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky. This is a featherweight-type battle. What are you anticipating? Break down the keys in your eyes? This
1: is the closest fight to me on, on on the card just because of the fact that you have two pressure fighters and you have both guys that have power in their shots. You know, I think Volkanovski has a little bit more power in his shots. But you know, Volkanovski is, is one that can bring the pressure and bring the pace. And that's something that Max has been able to do so very well. He brings a pace that a lot of people can't stand up to. And he ends up having everyone fades out as a fight goes on. But with a fighter like Volkanovski, he's a fighter cut from the same cloth as Max Holloway. Holloway so he's gonna be able to go in those dark corners with him and, and push the pace like Max Holloway. Now, the, the key here is if Max Holloway uh, has cut too much weight, then that's going to cut in his ability to go and push the pace and match a Volkanovski. And that's where the the, the can Max lose his fight? Yeah, that's where the Max can lose his fight because if Volkanovski can... Bring the pressure and bring Max into that place where a lot of fighters can't bring him because they don't have the stamina that that uh, Volkanovski does. Then we're going to see if all the hard weight cutting through all the years has affected Max.
2: Volkanovski, you mentioned the stamina, former rugby player was like north of 200 pounds and now he's cut it back, but maybe still keeping all the power that he has in there so who do you like in this one
1: man this one's a tough one to call but you know i gotta go with champ yeah i gotta go with champ max you know 14 wins in this weight class you know that that's a really hard number to beat and that means that he knows the rhythm he knows how to get it done i gotta go with max on this one
2: all right holloway right around more than a dollar 50 favorite against Volkanov, that one for the featherweight title bout. Expect a, a lot of thrown punches and strikes there. Lots of pace with these two guys. And we've got to end here with, it, it, it's funny because I, I dubbed this sort of the Boca Raton Bowl because both guys are <laughs> South Florida guys. But it has the implications of like the Sugar Bowl or the national title because it's Kamara Usman and Colby Covington, the Nigerian nightmare and chaos. This is one that is really exciting to me. Just just from a fan's perspective here, put, it, put just one of your fan head, how excited are you for this fight?
1: I'm, I'm excited, and I'm, I'm super, super excited just because, you know, both of these guys, they're cut from the same cloth. You know, you look at their statistics, and, and you really can't tell them apart. And, and, and they fight so much alike, and the hate between them is so real that you know that something explosive is going to happen inside that octagon.
2: From Colby's perspective, again, he's been wanting – to fight for the strap right and, and you know very well how tough it is to, to maneuver a, a fight that you want while winning which he has he had to, to really get the roller fight under his belt which he did how do you think he and his camp have navigated up to this point to get this fight
1: I think it's been perfect you know uh, Kobe takes a lot of criticism for the way that he is but For the most part, when it comes to fighting and when it comes to getting the fights that he wants, he he does great business. And, you know, this guy right here, Kobe, is somebody that you love to hate, but at the end of the day, you cannot deny what he brings to the table. This guy is a pressure fighter who comes forward and he has skills. You know, he's very athletic too, sneakily athletic. You know, there's a couple kicks that he thrown in his fight with Robbie Law that I didn't think that he could do on an athletic level, but he just did it for fun. And it shows that he has another level that he can hit if he wanted to. So that's the scary part about a guy like Colby Covington is that he's a trash talker, brings a lot of pressure, and you haven't even seen the
2: best of him yet. All right, so we had Colby Covington against Lawler in August, then Kamara Usman, of course, with Tyron Woodley earlier in the year in March. Before I get your pick, give me a path to victory for each fighter. So let's start with the challenger in Colby Covington. He wins if he does what?
1: If Colby Covington wins this fight, he's going to be the one who's going to be the hammer and not the nail. He's going to have to put the pressure forward, but more importantly, he's going to have to put Kamaro on his back and make Kamaro work from his back. Even if he doesn't hold Kamaro down, the more he gets Kamaro to work off his back, the more he can cut into Kamaro's gas tank. And that's what it's going to be about. Who's going to be able to handle the energy more proficiently in this fight? And the winner of that, I believe, is going to be the one who controls the wrestling pace.
2: So on the other side, Kamaro, what, in addition to what you talked about, will he have to try to exploit there with Kobe?
1: I think for Kamaro, he's going to have to use his power he's a bigger stronger fighter so i think the power for him is going to be the x factor can he hit those powerful shots can he hit those you know big powerful punches that's going to bring pause to kobe and and that's what i think if he brings enough power with his punches and with his takedowns then it's going to kind of slow kobe down because no one want to walk no one wants to walk into a punch or heavy heavy anything you know you're gonna you're gonna I guess, hold back on your own mm-hmm. when you feel that kind of power on you.
2: All right, so the odds for Ushman, much like they are for Holloway and Volkanovski, Kamaru is the favorite. You've gone with the favorite each time. You doing it the same here at the end?
1: I got to go with the favorite on two levels. One, because I really believe that Kamaru is a favorite, and I really believe that he does have what it take, and it's just because of the fact that he's he's powerful. They have identical games, but I think that when it comes to endurance and when it comes to power, I think Kamaru has that. But another reason why I just feel as, you know, he's my brother. You know, we trained together for the <laughs> longest time. And I honestly believe, you know, his his masturation in, in this this uh division has uh has been something that that is very impressive and I think it's something that's gonna keep going forward. You know, he's he's really, you know, took to being champion on another level. I've never seen a more focused Camaro uh working through injuries and there's nothing that I, I, I can see that Colby can do. That's going to really hurt
2: him. I'm excited, man. You know, ever since you went out to Vegas over the summer for International Fight Week, yeah, had your speech shaking the ground. We had some earthquake stuff, too. We've had really good cards ever since then. UFC 242, three on and on the fight nights, and now getting ready for 245. Hall of Famer certainly appreciate it. Thanks for the time, as always. And catch Rashad Evans and our guy, Brian Campbell, the state of combat, the host, the Our great boxing, wrestling, and MMA. Download, subscribe, and make sure you rate today. Again, shot going with all the favorites here in terms of the five we talked about today.